I'm Taylor. Welcome to Happy Hour Film Club, the podcast where we talk about movies over cocktails. We had to take a break from our usual recording schedule, so we thought an appropriate theme for this new episode would be Sick Day. As per usual, we do try to avoid major spoilers, but sometimes they do happen. We do discuss the films, but we also try really hard to talk about them in a way that is both entertaining and leaves you still wanting to watch. Sometimes in life, we get sick. You're not feeling well, you can't do the thing you were planning on doing that day, and you're forced to take it easy and spend the day inside. And you're feeling pretty crummy, so what are you going to do? You're going to rest, maybe grab a snack and sit in front of the TV and watch a movie. So, Riley, what do you do when you're sick or not feeling well? When I am sick, I do a lot of napping, but I do like to perch myself on the couch in front of the TV. For some reason, I find the couch way more comforting than my bed when I'm sick because maybe I'm just closer to activity that's happening in the house and I feel less secluded. But I usually have tissues nearby, maybe a little bit of orange juice, I'm not a big soup fan, but I do love me some saltine crackers. So I'll have those and I'll pop in a movie or two or six, depending on, you know, how long that sickness lasts, uh, and burn through all my usual films. What about you, Taylor? Um, so yeah, when I'm not feeling well, for me, it's all about comfort. So I'm definitely seeking, like, comfort food and, like you know, with the movie selection, it has to be that familiar comfort of like an old, like beloved movie that you just, you just love. Uh, But also I feel like recently in the streaming age, like whenever I'm sick or just kind of out for the count for a couple days, I take advantage of that just unexpected downtime and like binge watch like a new thing that I haven't really had time to watch previously Mm -hmm. so I can go either way like either an old familiar favorite or just something completely new like binge watch that series that you really haven't had time to really like commit to watching right and I feel like it depends on the kind of sick too Mm -hmm. because if you're the kind of sick where you just want to sleep all the time I don't want to start a new show yeah so I'd go to something familiar but if I have a cold and I'm just feeling kind of icky and I'm down on the couch maybe I don't want to go out that evening but I also don't want to just sit there either or nap so I'll throw on something new or again yeah binge watching those short mini series that are so often popping up on Netflix is really convenient for those times because you can burn through it in a couple of hours yeah and that's a good point it's like if you're the type of sick where you're just like drowsy like maybe you're dozing off like that comfort like familiar movie is perfect because that's something you've watched a million times if you fall asleep and you miss a part of it it's not really that big of a deal because you've seen it a million times so right and obviously we both picked our sick day films but are there a couple that maybe you were tossing around other than the film that you picked for this this episode that is a good question so yeah 
for me, it'd probably be more like Disney. Like I grew up watching Disney, so really anything Disney or Pixar is going to be a comfort to me because they're usually pretty lighthearted. They're also very short. You know, it's not like a three-hour epic that you have to <laughs> really like pace yourself with. You can kind of zip through it pretty fast. Um, did you have some that you were kind of going back and forth on? I did. I actually, this one was kind of hard because I feel like I, I remember very specifically as a kid having been sick. And I think there was a time not too long ago, but when I had my wisdom teeth out mm. and I was still in high school, but I wasn't necessarily drowsy. I just didn't feel up to doing a whole lot. So I had several of those films that I had revisited. One of those was uh, Charlie's Angels, so maybe Full Throttle, the, whatever the first one was with uh, Cameron Diaz and um, Drew Barrymore and um, Lucy, Lucy Liu. Lucy Liu. Yeah. Those were just awesome. The first one, particularly with the creepy thin man, that was always a go-to. And then also Bridget Jones' Diary actually was one for me because I had a huge crush on Colin Firth and uh, Hugh Grant, and they were both in that film as well. So those were my two six-day movies that I was kind of back and forth on, and I obviously I chose a different one, but... So you had mentioned like getting your wisdom teeth taken out and kind of being out for the count for like a couple days probably. So I, I had a, a surgery when I was in high school that really took me out for several days. And I remember coming home and having to wait for like pain medication. Um, and we put on Pirates of the Caribbean. And basically I watched like the first act of that movie and then I finally got my pain meds and then I just passed out and like don't remember watching the rest of the movie but it didn't matter because I had seen Pirates of the Caribbean a million times so I knew how it ended but I think it's just that familiar movie it's distracting enough mm-hmm. to kind of get you through that like icky like oh I feel really really bad mm-hmm. um, so I think that's a good merit for a movie is just to like be distracting and entertaining enough to just like get you through a really tough time of not feeling well well charlie's angels and pirates of the caribbean obviously did not make our picks this week so let's talk about the movies we did pick what you decide on taylor so my uh go-to sick day movie that i chose is the birdcage amazing love yes. that film yes and i selected the sasquatch gang So before we get into talking about those two movies, uh, let's go ahead and check out our cocktails that we have up this week. Hey Nick, thanks so much for joining us yet again with a new featured cocktail. Hello, thank you. Yeah, can you tell us a little bit about what you made for us tonight and um, yeah, why you chose this cocktail to match our theme? Yeah, absolutely. So sick day, you know, you don't think too much of cocktails. And funny enough, when we were doing research, it was kind of almost a free-for-all of like, sick day cocktails you can just have whatever you want and it's not true 
Um, but the cocktail I, I chose for today is the hot toddy because it's just a warm, delicious, like it, it just makes you feel better, but it still has bourbon in it. And, uh, that's really what makes you feel better. It really does. It's medicinal yeah. at it's, the end of the it's day. It's the bourbon. There's so much <laughs> there. It's, uh, it's kind of a little unnecessary for a sick day drink because it's it already has like lemon and hot water and honey in there and so it's just like that alone should just be normal and then and then you just are like you know what you know what this needs some bourbon and you just throw it on in there um so it is yeah it's really good i've never had hot toddies before so this was my first time so so yeah it was lovely hot toddies are my favorite like winter late fall drink because i feel like it's past the pumpkin spice past the nutmeg even like i don't really want those flavors so much anymore i get tired of peppermint and mint after a while because that can be a little overwhelming this is the, such a nice subtle cocktail that you can have at home and i feel like you don't feel guilty about it because it's so close to just drinking a nice warm cup of tea <laughs> that <laughs> I mean you might be able to tell a little bit of a difference a couple cups in but I love this one because I'm not a tea drinker actually and so having something that's really nice and lemony but doesn't have that same spiciness that teas tend to have oof, it's so good <laughs> Yeah, no, it, I I really like it. Um, it's kind of like, like there's two sides of a of a coin where it's, it, the there's a there's the hot toddy, and to me the other side of that coin is like a an Irish coffee, because it's just one of those where like you take a very simple thing like coffee or like tea, and then you're just like I'm gonna pour some alcohol in it. So yeah, uh, it's. It, it's very good. I, I enjoy I enjoy it thoroughly. Um, actually, there's a lot of hot toddy recipes. So again, I like uh, like what we did for the the daiquiri and the uh, um, no uh, no episode ep- episode. That was kind of weird. Um, the sick day non episode. Yeah, the sick day non episode. The the we took a break episode and then Nick got the date wrong of when <laughs> we were gonna. Well, we're going to come back, so sorry about that. As a disclaimer, neither Taylor nor I were sick. We've just had mentally and emotionally draining uh, weeks. Yeah. Years, even, some might say. And so we needed a little bit of a break for ourselves. So thank you for the concern to those who showed some. It was very sweet of you. Um, But we are, in fact, full health. We are well. Yes. Physical health, we are fine. Mentally and emotionally, maybe, you know, we needed a break. <laughs> but we're yes. doing fine. Yes. We're okay. Yes. And uh, this is where I come in, with cocktails. With, that's why we have cocktails. Yeah. We do. We do have cocktails, and we both got to visit with our moms, so I feel like we are mm. on the right track. We, all three of us, got to visit with our moms recently. This is so, true. So it's like a, <laughs> a salve on... Mm-hmm. on this, yes. is, this is true. Sometimes you just need a warm drink and a mom. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, the bourbon helps for parent visits too. It's also. Yes. 
is also very true. So, so, so tell us your uh, your official hot toddy recipe. Oh my goodness! So this hot toddy recipe, uh, there's a lot of hot toddy recipes, and they're all very similar. Um, so this is just kind of a amalgamation of various different places. Um, so it's uh, I do an ounce. So this is all dependent on the size of your mug too. If you have like the big, like crazy over the top, like I want a gallon of coffee mug, like you're going to have to, you might have to add a little bit more. This one is like more of like a true, like eight to 12 ounce coffee mug, like fairly standard mug. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's only one ounce of whiskey. Um, you know, you can add a little bit more if you want, but since it's a toddy, I try not to make it too boozy um but again you can always add more um i do a teaspoon of honey uh a well actually no sorry i'm looking at my notes wrong this is why i gotta double check my notes otherwise i mess up um yeah you ruined it all i know i ruined it all Uh. so so an ounce of whiskey um a tablespoon of honey and i do a tablespoon of lemon juice Mm. Um, and then you top it off with hot water. Um, some ingredients say a uh, three quarter cup. It just kind of depends on your mug again. Uh, and then you can top it with a fancy like lemon round. Or mm-hmm. if you want to get even more fancy, you can put a cinnamon stick in there. Mm-hmm. Um, their cinnamon sticks are pretty cheap. So you, yeah. you can get those for garnish. Yeah, nice flavor to them too. Nice little flavor. You know? Yeah, without just overtly just pouring some cinnamon in there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yum. Well, thanks for sharing that with us. This is delicious. And Yeah, I, I've i never been a big hot toddy drinker, and I think this has converted me. Mm. Like, well, I just think about, like, that time of year where you go outside to rake your leaves, and it's late in the season, and it's really cold, and sometimes even wet, and then you come back inside, and your feet are, like, frozen. Mm-hmm. And I would go towards, like, hot cocoa. But I think this year... I'm going to go for a hot toddy. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay, but was it regular hot cocoa or was it hot cocoa with a splash of like Kahlua or something in it? Because... No, it would typically just be normal hot cocoa with just like a mountain of marshmallows. Mm. Yeah. Oh, you're a marshmallow person. Aren't you? I, oh, absolutely. <laughs> and sometimes not even marshmallows, just like a big dollop of like marshmallow fluff. Just. Oh, well, that's different. I could eat that right out of the jar. Oh, yeah. That's true. Yeah. What is marshmallow branded? If so, no. Sponsor us. Hashtag. Well, you got Jiffy Puff. Pod. Jiffy Puff. Is that what it's called? Isn't it Jiffy Loop? I... No, that's like an oil change place. It's a very different place. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like um, it's Jet Puff. Jet Puff. Jet Puff. Jeff Jet Puff. Uh, we do have. Two lovely mugs we're drinking out of mm-hmm. this evening. Taylor, do you want to tell us about them? Yeah. So, um, for this episode, since we were doing a hot beverage served in a mug, we are drinking, currently we are drinking our hot toddies out of mugs made by Sadie Mishuk. Yes. She's a local potter here in Goshen, Indiana. Uh, She has an online store that you can check out. She's got these adorable prints that she puts on them that are floral. She uses a little stamp that she like indents. So they're kind of this antique 
looking print that she uses on a lot of her products. So yeah. that's a good staple of hers. And we were just talking a little bit ago before we were recording about how comfortable the mugs are. They're really easy to hold. And I find I have really small hands. And mm. a lot of times I feel like mugs are the handles are really big and clunky and these have a nice ridge to them so my like, fingers fit just sort of perfectly with it yeah they're super cozy mugs we can um be sure to link to her website in the um episode bio and uh, we'll also be posting photos of the of the drinks styled in in these lovely mugs yeah so, so thanks to sadie for listening we appreciate your uh fanhood support support that's a better way of fanship (laughs) fanship support thanks Uh, thanks for listening (laughs) (laughs) okay so riley go ahead and tell us about the sasquatch gang okay so sasquatch gang i immediately fell in love with this film uh from the start we've got three nerdy kids one is not so much a kid um they're in the front yard of this midwestern looking home Our main character, Gavin, is played by Jeremy Sumter. I remember the only other film I think I've seen him in is uh, Peter Pan, which is Mm. like this sort of teen heartthrob rendition of the Peter Pan Ghost of Neverland story, yada yada. Um, So Gavin sets the tone by playing this delicate, ethereal, elfish tune um, out of his CD player that is heard by a neighbor, Zerk, who is played by none other than Justin Long. Zerk, sporting a mullet, muscles on over, threatening the boys and telling them to turn off the music. Zerk challenges them to a duel, and with foam swords in hand, he and the oldest nerd, Hobie, played by Hubble Palmer, get after it. Obviously, Zerk beats down Hobie, who is a little too lost in the theatrics of roleplay, and that's how we start Sasquatch Gang. So you've got LARPing, you've got the redneck neighbor, I love all of these characters, and then you also have the neighbor's friend who shows up wearing nothing but some cut-off shorts. (laughs) He's definitely a jorts wearer, and never, ever has a shirt on. Uh, So Sasquatch lore enthusiast Gavin and his ragtag group of nerd friends, uh, romantic interest Sophie, played by Addie Land, swordsman Hobie, and young Maynard, played by Rob Pinkston, stumble upon some large tracks and a really big turd while searching for arrowheads at Deercliff Falls. After Gavin and his friends report the finding to their local police and newspaper, the publicity stunt gains the attention of an international Sasquatch expert, Dr. Artemis Snodgrass, played by Carl Weathers. Obviously, the group knows exactly who this expert is, as they have all of his teachings recorded on VHS. So parallel to Sasquatch findings, uh, we follow Zerk and his friend Shirts, played by Joey Kern, who ironically, like I said, never wears a shirt. They brainstorm ways to make money to pay a credit card bill after collections agent Steven Tobolowski shows up at Zerk's apartment. I think I said that right, Steven Tobolowski. Yeah, that's right. We quickly discover that these two are involved in the Sasquatch finding 
and that's where I'm gonna leave it because I don't want to give too much of the story away uh, especially because the story is told in a non-linear fashion mm-hmm. so it's easy to sort of bop around and give too many hints and clues um, in my opinion Sasquatch Gang is a total hidden gem Not many people I've talked with have ever heard of it before, but that isn't all that surprising because the film had a limited cinema run with only nine openings in theaters, and each opening averaged only one week um, running, so pretty short. Wow. Yeah. It was very limited. Right, and it was almost straight to DVD, in my opinion. That's what it sounds like. Um, The box office was a pretty big flop too so it only grossed about 10,000 but the budget was 35 million dollars so i mean it obviously has some bigger names but i could see the movie landing kind of awkwardly with people um it's written by written and directed by the same assistant director that worked on napoleon dynamite Mm -hmm. and the way the characters are written are much in that same kind of vein. So they're super quirky, they're over-dramatized, but in my opinion, really lovable mm-hmm. in all of those ways. But you have to pay into that scene setting mm-hmm. that they do. So uh, it's an insight into nerd culture, especially in a smaller town. So I find that really relatable. And the actors do a phenomenal job of fulfilling the promise of wonder and adventure in a world that doesn't offer much fantasy really at all um so and again the film is non-linear which i think can really throw people off if they're not expecting it and this film in particular doesn't really give you a whole lot of um exposition as to when that's happening so you sort of you land in the next scene and you're not really sure where in the timeline you're at which I like, but I know that that can be really challenging for some people to to jive with. So, Taylor, <laughs> you have a certain kind of look on your face. What did you think about Sasquatch Gang? Um, so yeah, I had never heard of this movie, and I am a pretty, like I like Justin Long, like I'd say I'm a Justin Long fan, but I had never heard of this movie. I rented it, and it just wasn't really what I was expecting, like, at all. It was very um, surprising. So the first thing I noticed is it's in 4x3, has a 4x3 aspect ratio, which was very odd. Um, because I think I, I looked at it and I was like, oh, it was made in, like, 2007. Mm-hmm. Or, like, you know, maybe early 2000s. I think it was released like January 2006 something like that something like that yeah Mm -hmm. but then it's in four by three aspect ratio which kind of threw me off and I was it was really hard for me to tell like the time period like when was it set like is this the 90s is it the early 2000s like it was kind of hard to tell because even with their fashion and like it just it could have been set at any any time, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, the nonlinear storytelling I, I I quite liked. I thought that really made made you more um, on your toes with like what was happening. Um, I also really loved the Clash of the Titans reference and the fact that the main character had like a VHS 
like a private library that he would like rent out to his friends like for like I don't know coins or something like a nickel or <laughs> I don't know um and I re- so Maynard was like the little blonde kid mm-hmm. so like these three kids like there's a really big tall one there's like a medium sized one and then there's like a tiny one and it's like are these kids the same age like what is going on but the little one Maynard he had like the funniest joke so at some point in the movie he like got in trouble and like he was grounded and his friends kept trying to be like hey like come out with us or like we're going to play laser tag and like he wasn't allowed to go out because he was grounded but then at the end of the movie like they have this like final kind of scene and he's able to go and they're like like Maynard like how did you get your parents to let you out and he was like Maybe it's in really poor taste, but he was like, I told them I would do drugs and kill myself if they didn't. And he's like, and plus I get to miss two days of school for therapy. (laughs) So he's like, (laughs) he's like, win-win for me. Cause like, not only am I allowed to go out with my friends, but I also, I get to miss out school because I'm in therapy now. (laughs) And I was just like, losing it because it was just so matter of fact like it was very like kind of dry because the friends were just like yep makes sense to me like we're not worried about you at all (laughs) and he's such a strange that he is a lot smaller than the rest of them but I do think he's younger so Maynard is to me probably anywhere between 12 and 14-ish and then Gavin who is sort of the ringleader that I talked about. So he has his movie library. I'd say he's 15, 16. But then uh, Hobie, who is this... He's a large man. This is not a child. Right. He is not even close to a child. He's at least got to be mid-20s in this film. Yeah. So they are this band of (laughs) misfits but then you have Maynard who is this really intelligent tiny human Mm -hmm. and then you have Hobie who is this I would say maybe stunted adult man yeah clearly he's hanging out with these younger boys yeah and when he works at the rental store but then so does the girl and she seems young so it's like they have jobs they do have jobs. So, like, they're old enough to have jobs, but... I don't know. But not Maynard. I think Maynard is, <laughs> is a child. He's just kind of this, like, child genius almost. <laughs> He's quite funny. Uh, um, and then, yeah, I can't go without saying... Um, yeah, Justin Long's mullet was pretty impressive. We love the mullet. Yeah. The mullet... He pulls it his, off. His cut-off t-shirts... And his super hick stoner vibe, I guess, that he gives off. Because he's sort of well-intentioned. He's just very aggressive. I think what I like (laughs) is that you have him and his friend Shirts, who Mm. are really odd and in their own right kind of nerds. And then you have these, these group of four kids, ish, who are also nerds who they're constantly making fun of. They're like, oh, what are you going to do about it, nerds? Yeah, but then they're kind of nerds in their own right. They're nerds too, right. Like, from the very beginning, Zerk comes over, Justin Long's character traips over, and is like, 
turn the music off. And then they're like, no. And he's like, fine, then we're going to battle about it. He he wants to fight them. He yeah. wants to LARP with, with them. With, like, the LARP... Like the foam weapons. With the foam weapons. He clearly wants to beat their ass, but with yeah. foam weapons. Yeah. And so in their own right, you have these two parallel stories of just these very different kinds of nerds. Mm. And I really, really love that. Anyway, I am excited to hear about The Birdcage. Um, so The Birdcage is a 1996 comedy directed by Mike Nichols. It stars Robin Williams, Nathan Lane, Gene Hackman, and Diane Weist, or West. Um, it is a remake of the 1978 French-Italian film, and I had to write this out phonetically because my pronunciation is garbage, um, so I'll try my best. Le Cage au Folle. Uh, which was based on the 1973 stage play. And Le Cage au Folle translates into the cage of mad women. The movie starts off with this great continual tracking shot of a nightclub in South Beach, Miami, Florida. And the shot starts outside and slowly takes us inside the club where a drag show cabaret is taking place. And you see the busy street outside bustling with traffic and pedestrians. And um, it passes through the entrance to the birdcage underneath a big marquee with flashing lights. And then the camera drifts through the club and we see it's packed with people. The bar, the tables, hosts, servers, kitchen, staff, stage, backstage. They're all busy with activity. Uh, So this is a happening spot. Um, And this is the perfect way to introduce the audience to the film setting, which is mid-90s Miami nightclub. And it also introduces Armand Goldman, who is played by Robin Williams, who owns and operates the whole establishment. We are taken backstage where Armand is told by the stage manager that Starina, the show's main act, is refusing to perform. And then um, we find out that Starina is Armand's partner, Albert, who is played by Nathan Lane. And they live just above the nightclub. So Albert is having a crisis and does not want to perform. And he's convinced that Armand does not love him anymore and is having an affair behind his back. Armand eventually convinces Albert to go on stage, appealing to his vanity. So the show must go on, give the people what they came for and all that. And then while Albert is performing on stage, Armand sneaks away. And obviously he is preparing for someone to visit. And finally, a young man shows up. And it turns out that it's actually Armand's son, Val. And during this secret reunion, Val reveals that he is getting married and wants his father's blessing. Armand thinks that he's too young for marriage, but gives his blessing regardless. And then meanwhile, we meet Val's fiance, Barbara, and her family. And basically, she's breaking the news to her parents at the same time. And her parents are conservative, and her father is a Republican congressman, Senator Keeley, uh, played by Gene Hackman. And they are also reluctant to give their blessing. However, after a scandal breaks the news, 
the Keeleys are coerced into considering their daughter's wish to marry and decide to meet Val's parents, they think that a high-profile wedding will take the heat off the scandal and distract the news crews surrounding their house. And then back in Miami, Armand is grappling with the prospect of changing who he is for the sake of Val's wish to impress his fiancé's family. Because Val has asked Armand to basically put up a front to fake, you know, being straight to tone down their lifestyle to accommodate, you know, his fiancé's family. And it's really heartbreaking to watch how this affects Armand and Albert's relationship. But nevertheless, they do proceed with changing the decor of their Miami townhouse, dressing differently, acting differently, the whole nine yards to put up this, this farce. And since this is a comedy, naturally, hilarity ensues and in the end they do put their differences aside and there's even a great epilogue where they show the wedding and the pride side and the groom side are just all looking at each other awkwardly because you have you know the groom who's all you know Miami kind of cabaret crowd and then you have Barbara's side of so the bride side of the wedding and they're all very like northeastern, like conservative, like politician people, <laughs> and they're just kind of looking at each other. So I really love this movie. It's always a good watch, and it cracks me up every time. Uh, making it a great sick day movie. Um, I just love the theatricality of it. The chemistry is also very, very good. Um, my favorite bits are with Nathan Lane and Robin Williams just perfectly playing off of each other, and it's very endearing to watch. I really like this movie as well. This is probably the second or third time that I've, that I've watched through it, so it's not a regular of mine, but before I sat down to watch it, I had this memory of the movie making me really sad, mm. and I couldn't remember what it was about it exactly that that got to me and after watching it I realized that the son Val is a total dick yeah I absolutely cannot stand that relationship because I feel like Robin Williams character Armand and Val have this really loving father-son relationship except Val completely almost disowns Armand's reality in a way. This boy, man, was brought up in a two-partner household of two men, and then he turns around and asks them to pretend like their whole lives that they've worked towards. Mm -hmm. They've built this career and empire, in a sense, around. He wants to fake that, pretend like they were quote-unquote a normal family. Yeah. And I remember that made me so sad. And watching it again, it made me sad. I still, it makes me laugh too, because obviously the characters are hilarious. Their, their comedic timing is impeccable. You know, their process of trying to be quote-unquote normal and not straight, it's quite funny. And their interactions, the two very polar opposite families interacting with one another. It's sort of a um, comedy of errors, but I still just was so frustrated 
by the son and by that relationship. And I've watched this a bunch and it's like anytime I watch it nowadays, like now that I'm older, like that part is always really, like it does make me sad because it's like he doesn't take into account like how this is affecting his parents like his parental figures basically of just like it's just really breaking their relationship and he seems like he doesn't even care like he's just frustrated or annoyed at the yeah the fact that they are even you know visibly uncomfortable by it but then he doesn't really even care as long as they do what he wants yeah so that so yeah does that Val character I'm just kind of like yeah I don't really like he's not endearing at all because he just is kind of a jerk and like doesn't seems to not care at all like he just wants to get married and to do that like he has to have the two families meet and the best way of doing that is to put up like a front just to like get to the point where like they can marry each other and um but yeah like I feel like Armand being like what do you mean you're getting married like like you're too young Mm-hmm. you know and well and then with the Armand character we find out that he um, did enter into a relationship at a young age with a woman and that resulted in Val being born and then she was too young and didn't want to take care of Val and so that's how Armand became or you know had cut full custody of Val growing up and that's why Val did grow up in that household and like never even met his mother because she was really young and didn't want to have a baby and so like I think that idea of like like what do you mean you're getting married you're too young like he had experience with that of like what how that like what happens when you do do that at a young age well and also it's interesting now that you're saying it out loud I didn't realize at the time but there's a role reversal there so it's not common to see a a father with full custody and a mother without and especially a father with full custody of a child that the mother has well that the child has never met obviously she gave birth to the child but that was separated at such a young age Mm -hmm. and didn't really want anything to do with the baby yeah and she said she even says like she never felt maternal and you know she's a like when we do meet her in the movie like they hadn't seen each other like Val's 20 or like 19 or 20 so it's mm-hmm. it's very clear that like wow we haven't seen each other in 20 years right she's never met Val and she's uh she has her own like business that but she runs she, like if she were a man and the role were reversed mm-hmm. I think that my mind would have automatically gone to well clearly Armand if she were the mother he were the mother it would be oh you had this baby at a young age and you did not end up in a a co-parenting relationship with the person that you conceived with so here are all these red flags that you're seeing about this relationship and i equate that with single mothers but i don't necessarily equate that with single fathers so that's an interesting role reversal that i think maybe my natural instinct was just off Mm-hmm. you know yeah but you know Armand chooses to accommodate you know the situation because he does really dote upon Val as a son and like clearly he's willing to like 
I mean, he's unwilling, but, like, he does it, you know? Does it anyway. Yeah. Well, and I love I love Armand and Albie's relationship so much because, yeah. A, they play off of each other really, really well, but there are these, there are two middle-aged men that are in a relationship, so they aren't, you know, these young, spry, hot things. They, they are hot and they're funny, but they are dealing with more real-world things, too, but at the same time, so they live together, they have this partnership, but one thing that gets me like none other is Albie's fake illnesses. <laughs> so he's always ill. He's always, anytime he's upset, he's like, oh, I'm dying. Like, oh, I must get out of this heat. Of course, they live in Miami, so it's freaking hot all the time. Yeah. And so he's like, waiter, give me some water. and. He's just so melodramatic, and I love it. I love it so much, because that's a thing that people do. But he plays that role so incredibly well, and you love him while he's doing it. You're you're not annoyed at all. Yeah. It's just hysterical. I know. I love Nathan Lane so much, and I love his, like, shrieks. Like, he'll just, like, shriek, and it's, and it's Nathan Lane, and it's just the... It's just the best. But at the beginning, um, when he's supposed to go on stage and he's like, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm just your meal ticket. Like, you, you know, you just want me on stage, blah, blah, blah. And he asks, they have like this amazing, like, I don't know, house servant character. And he's like, um, <laughs> oh, his name is Agador. And he's like, Agador, bring me my Pirin tablets. And Armand's was like, what, what? Like he stalked at Agador and he's like, what are you doing giving him drugs? Like, what, what is this? What are Pirin tablets? And Agador is like, they're just aspirin and I've scratched off the A and the S. And, and Armand's like, you're brilliant. He's like, I know. That's just like this placebo effect of like, oh, I like can't handle it anymore. Like, give me my medicine and give it's me just, my Purin tablets. Yeah, and it's just aspirin and it's just it's like the best. And Agatha's character throughout the whole thing is freaking lovely. He plays the best maid slash butler I've ever witnessed in my life, and he's so he's so lovable. He's no, he a, really is, and it's a uh, Hank. Azaria, Azaria, who he does like almost all of the voice acting on The Simpsons. Oh, that's right. Like, well, he does a bunch he does of stuff. a lot of like voice acting and regular acting, but I think mm-hmm. like his bread and butter is like voice acting. But I love him so much. He's like mopping the floor, and he's in like this little like cabaret outfit with like a red wig, and he's like, "What? Like what? What is this? Like Lucy situation?" And he's like, "I'm both. I'm Lucy and Ricky." like together because it's like cuban and like redhead (laughs) that's terrifying yeah he's just like please don't (laughs) and then he there's like this whole thing because like agador wants to like be and like in the birdcage and he's just like when are you gonna let me audition for you and he's just like you're just afraid of my heat and he's like what he's like my watermeloness (laughs) my my (laughs) watermeloness And it's just, it's, I love, I love all, I mean, all of the character acting is just so good. Because even I look at Gene Hackman and Diane, Diane uh, Wiest, and they're like the perfect, like, just 
I don't know, Republican family, because there's a whole scene where they're in their dining room watching this TV show, and it's like a political show, and they're just people shouting over each other, and they're just sitting there watching it in silence, and he's like, this is the most intelligent program on TV, and the the wife's just like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's amazing. Those relationships are really, really fun to watch, so... It is a hilarious movie. I feel bad. Like, I feel like I was digging into it too much because of um, Val's character. But I, overall, I did think it was very funny and heartwarming in many other ways, too. There's a moment when um, Nathan Lane and Robin Williams are signing the alimony agreement and Robin Williams is basically signing over the business to him and saying, you know, we have equal shares and everything because we're life partners. So they're not necessarily married, but it's this very, um, concrete statement of, you know, you're my person. And it, it gets me every time. Before I end things, I want to give a little throwback and a shout out. So, um, off of our previous episode, the graphic novel episode, we did have some people reach out, um, and I want to give a shout out to Ethan Harder. So Ethan sent a message saying that he thought of two more graphic novels that um, were translated, transferred into movies. Is that the right Adapted. One? Adapted. <laughs> Translated. <laughs> I don't know what that was about. Okay. Uh, so, The Watchmen, or Watchmen, mm. and Scott Pilgrim, which I actually forgot that Scott Pilgrim was a graphic novel. I didn't make that connection. Even though the way that it's filmed, that makes a lot of sense. I just never knew. Um, so, I would love to read that graphic novel. I did read was The a series. Uh, Scott Pilgrim? Scott Pilgrim's is, is a series. It's like an eight-book series or something. Oh. We we have them if you want to borrow them. Oh, I would love to. Um, I've not read them all, but if you even just read, like, parts of it, it it's, like, uncanny how they adapted it to screen because it's almost, like... Right. Like, per, like it mirrors each other perfectly. Like, Ooh. yeah, it's uncanny. Like, they... That's a very, very good graphic novel adaptation like they are so true to the source material it's really good yeah very cool okay well i will definitely have to check that out um i knew the watchman was a graphic novel it and that was actually one that i had considered and maybe we had even mentioned yeah i think um, we talked about it we talked about it a little bit but the movie adaptation I did watch, mm-hmm. and I actually, I cannot remember what network it came out on, but there was a Watchmen TV series. HBO. HBO, that's right. So it was on HBO, and I watched that as well and really enjoyed that. So there are several adaptations of Watchmen, and I'm not sure exactly, I can't remember what the graphic novel lines up with as far as the TV show, because that was very different than what they did with the movie it brings us in at a different point in the story oh so i've seen i've read the the graphic novel and i've seen the movie but i haven't seen the series at all okay well definitely check out the series i thought the series was really really good um 
But yeah, so thanks so much for, for sending that to us, Ethan. And he also sent us a couple suggestions for other kinds of episodes we could do, other themes. So if any of you out there are listening and you have a brilliant idea for a episode theme, shoot that on over to us. As always, um, please follow us on social media. We're on Instagram. That's um, where we'll post our cocktail recipes and we'll post um, upcoming episodes and just really any general information on um, the release of new episodes. And also subscribe to our podcast. Um, We're on most, most podcasting platforms. And if you leave us a review... Um, that would be great because it does make us um, more relevant on the podcasting searches. So as always, thanks for listening. Yeah, we'll catch you next time.